Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you this morning as we come to this time. We pray, come Holy Spirit, come. We are here, Lord. But we invite you now, Lord, to open our hearts and our minds, open my words, and open the scriptures that we might be led to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing today in our Outward Bound preaching series. We're working our way this summer through the book of Acts. And just to bring you up to speed, if you haven't been with us or if you're visiting, um, we are in Acts 8. But what we need to understand is the very uh, key verse of the book of Acts. It's actually printed in the tiniest possible font that we could get it in, I think, uh, there on the front of your bulletin insert but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. A good scripture, I think, to hide in your hearts. And we've seen that. God's plan is that the gospel, the good news of the inbreaking of his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ, is a gospel that's intended to have an outward expansion, to move beyond Jerusalem and to go through his people to people everywhere. Now, where we are in Acts 8, so far all the action has centered around Jerusalem. It's all there. At this point, the church is growing. There are certainly more than 5,000 followers of Christ. The gospel is affecting hearts. People are changing. We saw last week that many of the priests are coming to faith. And so what that means is that like, there's a disruption going on. Things are changing. And whenever things are changing, that is very, very uncomfortable. Because what happens is suddenly traditions are called into question and the way we've always done things might be rattled. And that's happening in Jerusalem. That's happening in the lives of people's families. This is not a time that is without tension, without disruption. Even as good news is being heard, even as the gospel is changing lives, it's also generating resistance. And that's always what happens when the gospel is faithfully preached is that resistance comes about. Those who are committed to the status quo, those who are in positions often of power, those who have a vested interest in seeing things stay the way they always have been are usually the ones who most often resist a new move of God. And so we're seeing that the gospel thriving. But now we've had our first martyr last week. Kendall preached wonderfully about Stephen, that first martyr of the faith. And we were introduced to Saul, who we also see today. So let's take out our scripture insert, if you will, and we'll begin to walk through this text this morning. It says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is not a joyful moment. There's a lot of sorrow in the midst of what God's doing. There's also an incredible amount of pain in the midst of this persecution that is erupting. Now, what happens 
Does the church hide? Does the church stay committed to their comfort and doing things the way they always have? No. Do they stop talking about Jesus? No. It says in verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. They go out. They go out telling about Jesus. They've been called to be witnesses, and witnesses are simply people who talk about what they have seen, what they have experienced, what they know. And Philip goes to where? To Samaria, which means we're beginning to see the outward bound movement of the church. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's beginning to happen. Notice what God uses in order to make it happen. He uses disruption. He uses persecution. He uses the upending of their comfort. And friends, we need to know God is more interested in the outward boundness of his gospel than in our commitment to comfort. Very important for us to understand. They're beginning to fulfill what God has called them to do. And I thank God for that because just think, if the gospel had stayed in Jerusalem, you wouldn't be here today. And neither would I. We're here because it moved out beyond those nations to the ends of the earth and down through time. Now, here's something that I want to focus on today. And this really remarkable chapter is this. God is a speaking God. God is a revealing God. God is a living God. In fact, idols are dumb and mute. They can't speak and they can't hear because they're not real. But the true God, the living God, the one who says, I am that I am, I exist that I exist, this God is a God who moves and acts. And yes, he speaks. He speaks. And you'll be amazed, I think, by this, but with the exception of Acts chapter 17, every chapter of the book of Acts contains a reference of supernatural communication from God, whether he's actually doing it or they're referring back to him revealing himself, unfolding his plan for the gospel to go out. See, God is directing the movement of his church, and God is acting through the lives of his people What we're seeing in the book of Acts is not an exception for way back then, but the unfolding of what it means to be a person who lives and believes and belongs to Jesus Christ. God is a God who speaks to his people. And why should that surprise us? And think about what Jesus told us with regard to how we ought to pray to God. Our what? Father. Now think about a father. Think about a parent for a moment. Think about a good parent, not a bad one. The most natural thing in the world for a parent to do, a good parent, is to communicate with their children. Not simply to correct them, to rebuke them, to swat them down, but just to have relationship, to communicate. If in the natural, then why not in the supernatural? Jesus has said, our father. In the book of Romans, we hear that all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And our spirits within us cry out, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Dada, Abba. You know, when my children were born, it was very natural for me to want to talk to them. And in fact, it began before they were even born. 
when Catherine was pregnant with each of our children, I would routinely, regularly put my hands on her stomach and go, hey, baby. (laughs) And I'd say it something like that. We're so glad you're coming. I can't wait till you're here. I bless you in the name of Jesus. As a father, I was blessing my children before they were even born. And what would happen invariably is they'd come over and start tapping back and saying hello back to me. And I remember, particularly I remember a firstborn child after really hard labor and um, low APGAR score and a, a sort of a crisis delivery when they finally brought her back into the room and she was fussing, crying, 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 and I spoke, she immediately calmed down. And it's because she knew the voice of her father. Even before she was born, she knew the voice of her father. And Jesus says, God is a speaking God. Think about the way he spoke of himself. Jesus said, I don't call you servants. I call you my friends. And the most natural thing for us to do with our friends is to talk to them, to engage with them, to communicate. That's what friendship is. It's intimacy. Jesus calls us his intimate friends. And he said this about the Holy Spirit. He said that the Holy Spirit would teach us all things and remind us of his words and testify about him and guide us into all the truth and show us the things that were to come. So according to Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He guides and he teaches and he reminds and he testifies and he shows. Now, either Jesus is a liar or it's true. And I would say Jesus is not a liar. God is vastly creative in the ways he speaks. And we're going to see that in this text. And then we'll see it throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Let's look at some of the ways that God speaks And God reveals in this particular text we're in. So Philip has gone down to the city of Samaria, verse 5, and he has proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. God speaks through the preaching of the word and through signs. And I would say, think of times in which, and I pray it's even happened here, when when you're hearing a message that was being preached in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and suddenly it was opening your heart and opening your mind, and you were engaging, and you were seeing yourself, and you were wondering, how does he know? Through the preaching of the word, God was speaking, and through the signs, as demons came out, as the broken were healed, as paralytics stood up. And of course, that's a powerful testimony to the presence of God when God heals. And God is a healing God. The healing is designed to help us know he's speaking. It's a sign. It's a pointer to the God who lives. And so by preaching and powerful signs, God speaks. Verse 26 Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, God speaks through angels. And we'll see a lot of angelic activity. The scriptures give testimony to the presence of angels from the beginning to the end, from the first book to the last book. And there are countless testimonies of angel encounters and angel experiences, not only in the Bible, but throughout church history. I remember a time that we were driving up 95, we were heading towards Santee, and it's hard to explain, but 
Well, it's hard to explain. We were driving and all the rugrats were in the back. So you can guess kind of general age. And I was, you know, trying to reach whoever was touching, whoever shouldn't have been touching and was complaining about being touched way back there. Anybody know that experience? Yeah. And I shouldn't have been looking back. I believe Catherine was asleep. I don't know how, but I think it was the pain of the time of age of our kids. She was just worn out. And I'd be quiet, hush, settle down, right? And I turned and I looked around and I was going a little too fast up a little bit of a curve and there was an 18-wheeler and I had to turn to avoid hitting him from behind and off into the grass we went and suddenly the wheels were beginning to go into a slide and I just cried out reflexively, Jesus And I don't know how because physics doesn't make sense in this case, but the car righted itself and we were back on the road. I think it was an angel. I don't know that. I just know that what happened was not my doing and yet we were alive. Now, let me say this because I know the state of the heart of my wife and my children. Had we died, we would have been okay. We would have been in the presence of the Lord, but it wasn't our time yet. But I, I think perhaps that was an angel. It was, it was undeniable what happened, but it was hard to describe how it happened. I suspect some of you have had things like that in your own lives. And so God speaks through the preaching of the word and through powerful signs and through angels. Now look at verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. The Holy Spirit speaks. And probably one of the most important things you can possibly do is hone your inner hearing ear to the presence and voice of the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't shout. And the Spirit isn't way out there on the other side of the cosmos. No, the Lord is near. He is in you. The Word of God is present in you if you're a Christian. And so we have to learn to hone our inner ear, our inner eyes, that the eyes of my heart might see, that the ears of my of my spirit might hear, hear the words of God. Sometimes they're directive words like this word to Philip, go over to that chariot. Not always making sense, certainly not always comfortable. You got to wonder what Philip was thinking as he's going to this fancy. It's like, you know, a Tesla chariot. And this is a man who looks nothing like him from a different country, a different place, and he's called to go there. He probably could have had a lot of reasons in his mind to think why he shouldn't, and yet he he knew the voice of the Spirit. And so he responded. Friends, in this busy, noisy, chaotic age, one of the most important disciplines that we can enter into practices, if you will, is to listen, to hone our ears, to build in silence. Think again about the condition of our hearts coming into the pandemic. We were exhausted going into 2020. People were going to 14 things a day, not ever seeing families, you know, maybe. I mean, the, the, the restaurants, the drive-thrus were making a killing because nobody had time to even eat. That's how busy everyone was. And then we go through a season of the pandemic and the response that I heard from so many during that time was, oh, I kind of like this. Not the death and dying, the slowing down and having to stop being forced to stop. That was the only thing that could have gotten us off the hamster wheel we were on. 
Have you thought about that? That is the only thing that could have stopped us. And yet God in his mercy slowed us down. I'm not saying the pandemic is his doing. There was an invitation in the midst of it to slow down. But now we're coming out of that. And guess what's happening? We're starting to ramp up again. Will you go back to the slavery that you were under? Will you go back to that slavery? I hate to say it, but because of the idols that we carry in our hearts, the answer will be many will. We will go back to that slavery. But the invitation for us who are willing to hear is to slow down, to build within us the resilience we need for whatever season is ahead. The only way to do that is to make time to hone your hearing ear, to hone your seeing eye, to listen for the voice of the Spirit. We hear in First Kings that that voice is not in the mighty wind and it's not in the flames and it's not in the earthquake. It's in a whisper. Do you know the whisper? The whisper of the Spirit of God. You know, it wasn't until I gave the Holy Spirit room in my life and was filled with his presence. I was a Christian. I was saved. But I, I just said, Lord, whatever you want, I'm all in. That's when I began to truly hear him speak to my heart. And the words that he spoke, those first words, he's been expanding upon them for all these many years since. You are a child of the light. And you, Christopher, are a son of the Father. It's all about identity. It's all about my relationship to him because of Jesus. Light, not darkness. A child, not an orphan. A son of beloved love from the Holy God. Do you know the voice? Are you listening to the Spirit? Are you learning to hear? We'll look a little bit further down. In verse 35, uh, they're reading the Bible, by the way, in a... Philip opens his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus Christ. <clears throat> if you don't know the scripture and you aren't building in the scripture, that's the clearest way to hear God. Opening the word day in and day out, season in and season out, being faithful even when it's hard, even when sometimes the word feels like dust in your mouth. There are seasons when it's dry, but what I've discovered is that if our roots are going down deeply in the love of God, then those seasons of dryness eventually produce incredible fruit because they're often in those times that the word is doing a shaping in our heart and and doing a change within us that wouldn't happen otherwise. Do you know the word of God? Because it is by the word of God that we discern truth from error. It is by the word of God that we discern what is the spirit and what isn't the spirit. We use the word of God to test and to understand. Philip is opening his mouth and notice he's speaking one-on-one. God speaks one-on-one through relationships. We would call this discipling. And through Bible study, they're studying the Bible together. They're engaging with God, not simply to get facts. Notice it's not about facts so much. The facts are involved. It's about the identity of Jesus. Who is this? And Philip is opening the scripture to tell him the good news about Jesus. It's not about behavioralism. It's not even the law so much. It's the good news about Jesus. 
And so we have to be building in the word so that we can hear the spirit through the word, hearing God's voice through the scriptures. What gets in the way of that? Well, I mentioned before the busyness. There's a remarkable passage where Jesus talks about not throwing pearls before swines. And, and, you know, sometimes Jesus could be a little rough, it felt like. But I don't think that he's calling people pigs so much as he's saying that, that I give the treasures to those who will value the treasures. Those who will see the pearls and pick them up and treasure his words for what they are. The words of the loving heavenly father spoken to the children that he has purchased through the blood of his son. I so marvel over the words about Samuel, the prophet. It says of him, and he let not any of the words of the Lord fall to the ground, which is a remarkable way of describing the fact that he was so intent, so purposeful, so going after God that he didn't want to miss any of his words. And he didn't want to disobey anything that the Lord said. He was so committed to God's will above his own that God could entrust him with knowing the deep things of who God is. And I think it works that way with us as well. We've got to stay open and we've got to be willing. We've got to treasure the Lord and his word above all things, even above our own comfort. We've got to allow God to move us when he says move. And notice that he doesn't give Philip all the directions all at once before Philip obeys. He just tells him the next thing and Philip does it. Go over to the chariot and Philip goes over the chariot and more unfolds as he goes because it's intended to be dynamic, this relationship with God. It's not static and it's not wooden. It's the dynamic intimacy of cooperating with God. And that's what he intends. And you will find great delight in it. But we've got to get quiet. In the book Directions, James Hamilton speaks about a time in which uh, there was no refrigeration in the days when they had ice houses. And in those days, they would basically cut these giant blocks of ice in the winter out of frozen rivers and put them in these ice houses. And then they would cover these ice houses and all this ice on the inside. They'd be covered in sawdust. They'd be very thick, and that would be an insulator, and the ice would stay usually deep into the summer. And so the story goes, as he tells it, that a man was in there and working in the ice house and he lost the pocket watch that had been given to him by his dead father, his deceased father. It was invaluable to him and he couldn't find it anywhere. And all the men were looking and they they just couldn't find it. And so the story kind of got out. And that evening, one of the little boys who heard the story came into the ice house and closed the door. And he got down on the floor and he got very quiet and he found the pocket watch. They asked him, how'd you do it? He said, well, I got rid of the noise. I closed myself in. I got very low and I listened. And as I listened, I heard it. And then I picked it up. Friends, are you getting quiet? Are you building that in as 
Not just something you have to do, but something that is your lifeblood. He'll speak. The question is, will you listen? Will you listen? And what will you hear in that place? You're going to hear him tell you about Jesus. You're going to hear him speak to the deep places of who you are. Look at the kindness that the eunuch experienced. Here's a man who has been castrated, cut off, experiencing injustice, dealing with deep loneliness, alone in this world with no progeny. And the scriptures by the spirit of God begin to speak to him. And how do they speak? By identifying Jesus as the one who's come to identify with him. Like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he did not open his voice. He was cut off. He was afflicted. He suffered injustice. And he died. Jesus will meet you in your pain. And Jesus will give you a beautiful future as he heals you of those things. Because that's the kindness of the Lord to those whom he loves. Let's pray. Lord, give us a hunger to listen. Make us like a weaned child, Lord. Speak into the depths of our fears and our anxieties. Jesus, reveal yourself as Savior in the places we've experienced injustice, loneliness. Show us, Lord, your ability to heal and forgive our sin. And make us marvel at the beauty of the majesty of Jesus, who died and was raised, and who lives forever. May he be glorified. Amen.